Well, good morning, everybody. Let's just open up with a word of prayer. I like that good morning response. You guys are alive today. Uh, Let's just open up with a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for you. You're the most important thing in our lives. There is no one like you. We just come here to glorify you today, Lord, to receive from your grace, to learn what are the most important commandments that you have given to us to live by. Let your Holy Spirit be here today. Strengthen me. Strengthen our ears to hear the words of your son, Jesus, our Savior. And change us today that we might glorify you and experience ultimate joy in loving you and loving each other. Amen. The church is on fire. You can only save one thing. Here are your choices. $600,000 cash in a safe. Tax deductible. That's a good option. That's pretty important, right? Second thing is option number two. Handcrafted pulpit. First member of Seven Mile Road. Back when they were meeting in Matt's living room, he crafted a pulpit. A lot of historic and sentimental value there. Option two, pretty important. That could be a save. Third is Justin's guitar. Played by Johnny Cash. Bought by his father for a cool 10 grand. Get something on the black market for that. That could be important. The fourth thing is, One of your family members, either your husband or your wife or your child or a close friend. Who do you save? Who is of greatest importance? Of course, your family member, your wife, your child, your husband. But many times in this life, we forget what is of greatest importance. If some of those Pharisees were running in that burning church, they would have grabbed the guitar. They would have grabbed that cash. I'm telling you now. What had happened in that day and happens in our life is all of a sudden the building, the temple, became more important than the God that they were worshiping. Temple was made to worship God. All of a sudden the temple became more important. Often the sacrifices came more important. How you did them. You know, instead of the posture of your heart towards God who was atoning for your sins, all of a sudden the people became people who could further your political cause or make you look better or feed your self-esteem instead of image bearers of God who you're meant to love and care for and shepherd. So many times in our life, we lose track of what is important. How many times have you heard someone say, man, I lost track of what was important. I forgot what's important. I wasted 10 years of my life on this foolishness, and it means nothing. The good news is today Jesus, our Savior, our God, our teacher, is going to teach us what is of greatest importance, what we should live our life for. Isn't that something we want to know? What do I spend my time doing? What do I live my life for? What is of greatest importance? And Jesus said, There is nothing of greater importance. There are no greater commandments than to love God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Every other commandment hangs on those commandments. They're inseparable. If you love God with everything you are, you're going to love others like you love yourself. So I encourage you today to listen to the words of Jesus, to hear what he has to say, and allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to your heart for your good and for the glory of God. We're going to be doing the text, Mark 12, 28 through 24, um, 34. We'll start with the first verse, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he'd answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? So this scribe, this religious leader, had just listened to the conversation between the Sadducees and Jesus. And the Sadducees had approached Jesus like they did most of the time, and like 95% of the religious leaders had approached him. They didn't approach him to get answers, to find truth, to get wisdom. They approached Jesus to catch him in something, to tempt him, to rile up the crowds, to teach and call the crowd and say, he's preaching folly. They accused him of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. These are the same people who would scheme to crucify him. This is how they approached him. They didn't approach him to say, Jesus, teach us truth. Say, Jesus, let me prove you wrong. This scribe is different. This scribe heard the conversation, heard the wisdom of Jesus, and said, if I want to find truth, if I want to find out what is of greatest importance, I need to go to this man to hear truth. He was a religious leader, so he spent hours and hours studying the law. There were 613 statues of the law. Of course, once in a while, people would debate, what is most important? This man really wanted to know, what should I prioritize? What is most important, rabbi? And this is how he approaches Jesus. And I want us to approach Jesus in the same way today. Jesus, what is most important for my life? You are the son of God. You have saved me. You have loved me. Teach me today what is of greatest importance. And if there's other things in my life that I'm idolizing and giving too much value to, tear them out of my heart, Lord, because I only want to glorify you and you alone. Let's take that posture today as we go to Jesus to hear what he has to say. So Jesus gets this question, what is the greatest commandment of all? And this is how he answers. I'm just going to read Verse 29, and stop there. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus was a Bible teacher. Do you know that he wasn't just grabbing stuff out of thin air? He taught the scriptures. And I'm amazed over and over again, when you hear about these conflict stories, When you hear about his teaching, it's all rooted in Scripture, the inspired Word of God, and that's what he is teaching. He's opened his Bible, 
and he's teaching the word of God. So I want us to go to the text um, from which he referred to. It's Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. This is both important to see that Jesus is teaching the scripture and to have a better understanding of how the Jewish people understood the greatest commandments and what they were taught. So in verse 4, verbatim, it says, Hear, O Israel, Jesus is answering the scribe with scripture. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. You know a commandment is serious when you shall put them as frontlets between your eyes. This is what Jesus was teaching. He was affirming the scriptures. He was responding with the scriptures. This is something called the Shema. Religious leaders would recite this prayer every morning and every evening. They'd teach their children to recite this prayer, this scripture, every night before they went to bed. So when Jesus said this to the scribe, he would have knew exactly what he was talking about, that the Lord was unique. Israel were a group of monotheists in a world of polytheists. They were very unique in the way that they believed there was one God, and he alone was to be worshipped. There was no one beside him. You shall worship him and him alone. You shall love him with everything that um, you are. And when they recited these verses, they would be bearing witness and be witnesses, living witnesses of who God was. That he was their God. The Lord is our God. He's shown us love and grace and compassion and mercy. His covenantal love towards us deserves and commands our worship towards him. And they would recite it. Their children would recite it. It was a beautiful thing that Jesus referred to right here. And he goes on and he goes deeper in verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God's covenantal love towards us is towards our whole being. Not just love our mind. He does not just love our heart. He does not just love our body. He loves us with all the facets of our being. And that commands worship with everything we are. Do you realize, and we see this in Scripture many times again, people would show up in the congregation. They would give sacrifices. But their hearts were far from God. They could even worship him with their lips. They could sing the songs. And their hearts were far from glorifying God. He wants every part of us. All our heart. All our inward being. All our thoughts. All our understanding. 
all our strength. You don't want to just go through the motions. Some people here today, you might just be coming to church because someone's making you come to church. That's not what God is commanding us to. He's commanding us to glorify him and enjoy him forever. He's calling you to the deepest joy to do and be what you were created for. And that's a worshiper of God, a worshiper of Yahweh. You will never be more satisfied. You will never be more happy. You will never be more complete than you when you are worshiping God and him alone with everything you are. And it goes on further to answer the question. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So usually we end up on one side of the street or the other. Either we want to get a robe, a pipe, 52 books, our favorite poetry book, the guitar, and go to a cabin in the corner of the uh, woods where no other family member can get to us, no other friend can get to us. We don't have to deal of the fr- um, with the frustration of dealing with sinful people as we all are and working through things. And we all know how that goes, the drama. That's one side of the street. I'm just going to love God by myself. I've wanted to do that all the time. I still want to do that, I think. There's the other side of the street where people say, I'm going to be at every charity walk. Every homeless guy, I'm going to give him $5 to buy what he would choose. I'm going to give to every hungry person. I'm going to do everything I can to love my neighbor. The thing is, you cannot love your neighbor rightly without it being rooted in love for God. Commitment to God naturally expresses itself with commitment to others and loving your neighbor. I was watching Larry... An old rerun of Larry King, because he's not on the air anymore. And they had, <coughs> excuse me, they had um, John MacArthur on there. You know how that brother is in Scripture. You know what the Scripture says. Then they got Deepak. My personality test, I don't respond well to cold individuals. But he's on my team, so I love him. But I always feel like, you missed it. And so then you got Deepak Chopra is on there. You know him. They Skype him in. He's just standing there like, you know how Deepak rolls. And then there's other woman who's in like this new age movement. I don't know her name. Everything's mysticism. She's talking to spirits. She's a medium. And they're all discussing what is of greatest importance. And so Deepak is always coming at John. And he says, they're talking about loving your neighbor and loving others. Because the lady is saying it's all about loving others and karma and receiving, you know. And Deepak looks at John MacArthur and goes, isn't that what your God commands to love others? Isn't that written in the scriptures? That's what it's all about, to love others? And John MacArthur looked right at him. And he said, you're missing the whole first part of that text. You cannot love God without, love your neighbor without loving God first. It's rooted in love for God. This is what we try to do as sinful created beings who want to be God. We think that we're the source of love. We think that love originates in us. We think we're more merciful and caring and compassionate than God. There would be no mercy, no compassion, no love without God. If we are not rooted in that source, if we are not rooted in the gospel, if we are not loving God first, we will not love others rightly. 
Who is your neighbor? Is it your, just your family member? Is it just the people you like who think like you? Is it just people who are from the same political party? No. It's every other human being on the face of this earth. Just like in the story of the Good Samaritan. You don't step over somebody because they're not like you. You don't step over somebody because they don't think like you. You don't step over somebody because they have never done anything for you. You love them. You care for them. Because if you were lying there, you want someone to care for you. And even deeper, because God commanded it to love our neighbor as ourselves. So the scribe has just asked Jesus and said, what is the most important? He said, as to love God and love others with everything you are. He teaches from the scriptures. And here's the response of this scribe. Now, when Jesus usually responds, what happens with the Pharisees and the teachers and the Sadducees? They get riled up. They get riled up. They want to kill him. They want to, you know, rile up the crowds. They call him blasphemous. Their responses are one. What does this scribe do? It just amazes me how the scribe responds, and it's a breath of fresh air in this gospel. It's really a breath of fresh air. He says in verse 32, and the scribe said unto him, you are right. When's the last time you heard that from a religious leader? You are right, teacher. You are right, rabbi. He's affirming that he's teaching the truth from the scriptures, that he's staying with the tradition, that he's teaching God's wisdom. And he starts off by, you have truly said that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as yourself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's huge for a religious leader to say. You're saying that to love God and love others is more important than the temple itself? You're saying to love God and love others is more important than the sacrifice that I give? He saw the heart of the matter that was to love God with everything that you are. And he responded rightly. Now, one thing he did, and I just want to go through this because I want people to see um, and to analyze a little more how he approached him, Jesus. We talked about this. First thing he did, he went to Jesus with a question and actually wanted an answer that was going to change his life. This normally doesn't happen. Second, he listened to what Jesus had to say. And he affirmed that it was truth. Then he makes the statement that's amazing, because I'm sure he heard about Jesus in the temple. He was there. There is a witness. I saw it. And he says, this is more important than any of that. He saw the heart of the matter. And Jesus sees this response and unlike even Jesus' response to the religious leaders, he doesn't call them, you viper. Jesus is getting riled. His response to religious leaders were much different. Jesus looks and he says, you answered wisely. And let's read this verse in verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. 
And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I would have stopped asking Jesus questions too if I was the other religious leaders because he was just mowing them down, baby, mowing them down. This is an interesting saying. You are not far from the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Has anyone ever known anyone who they feel like they're not far from the kingdom of God? I know this one individual. I've been preaching to him about four years. He's, at, he's one of the guys at my electrical stockhouse. And um, he believes there's a God. He believes we should love others. He knows that we're sinners, but he gets caught up on the hypostatic union. He gets caught up on God, you know, on Jesus being fully God and fully man. And every time we have a conversation, I come away and I say, he is this close to the kingdom of God. He's asking questions and really wanting to know the answer. And when I tell him the answer from scripture, he affirms that it's truth. He's listening to what I have to say. And he's coming back with more questions. God is going to put people in your life who are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, we know what it looks like when someone's far away from the kingdom of God. You lived in Boston long enough to know that. Many of you say, Jesus, they say, what are you, some sort of fanatic? It's about one God. You touch a part of the elephant, you just got a different part, bro. You know how people are. They walk the other way. They get aggravating you. Some people are just so far on the other side of the street when you want to talk about Jesus, you know they're far away. But there's others who you say to yourself, it's so close. You're almost there. And this is what we have to remember. You are not the great evangelist. The Holy Spirit is. He has been working on hearts since the day they were born. Some of us will sow the seed. Some of us will water the seed. Some of us will reap the seed. You might come along in a person's life like this man and find them at a place where they're close to the kingdom of God and you plant a seed and they're far away. Well, another church, another Christian, another time, someone might come along the road and reap the harvest. Understand that. There's going to be people who are close to the kingdom of God and never get there, but there's going to be people who are this far away, and the Holy Spirit saves them, and Jesus saves their heart. Be encouraged with that. There was a man I was preaching to about 10 years ago, and the same thing. He'd ask me questions. We worked together. I was an electrical apprentice. He'd ask me questions when he was broken. He asked me questions about Jesus. He'd agree with some things. He wouldn't agree with some other things. He called me last year. And you understand, we had a working relationship. We never called each other outside of work. And he said to me, Joey, and this is not to um, float my boat, it's to encourage you guys as missionaries in this culture. He said, Joey, I want to let you know you're a big part of my testimony. A big part of your testimony? What are you talking about? He said, I've been following Jesus now. He said he's going to Grace Chapel. He's part of a ministry over there. He wants to go to seminary. I said, who is this on the phone? Jesus saves souls. Ten years ago, I said he was this close. Today, I say he's in. 
Be encouraged by that. Don't stop preaching that gospel. Don't stop loving people. Don't stop sharing and spending time with people, answering questions about Jesus, loving them. Some come people are almost there, and God's going to save their soul. So what I hate to do as a pastor is put something way up here and say, reach it, and you can't get to it. And now, reach it. Just do it. You guys can do it. We're powerful from within. No, you're not. We're weak. We're sinners. We're frail. But God has done something beautiful. We have forsaken the law. We have not followed the law. We have not loved God rightly. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. But a compassionate and loving and caring God sends his son to put his spirit, to write his law on our hearts. And now we can worship the Father through the person and work of his son Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way we can love God rightly is through the gospel. There's no other door. People are trying every other door. Maybe if I meditate long enough. Maybe if I'm good enough today. Maybe if I do enough charity walks. Maybe if I do this. None of that will help you following the greatest commandments. Only Jesus will. Only Jesus can. By his grace, he has written the law on our hearts. He has made us his children. He has given us new hearts. It's a miracle that you're here to worship God today. It's a miracle. In this day and age, you believe in a one and only God who saves souls? You believe in a heaven? You believe in a hell? You believe he sent his son to die? You believe the Holy Spirit lives within you? That's a work of the almighty God. That we worship him in spirit and truth. There's no better place to be than in the arms of God. Wow. It's God exciting. It's beautiful. The gospel is beautiful. Please keep running back to that. Don't run to your own strength. Run back to what Jesus did. And as you're sitting there admiring, wondering, experiencing the gospel every day, you know what's going to happen? That's going to throw you into worship of your God. That's going to throw you into worship with everything you are. That's going to cause you to love your neighbor. No more are you saying, well, that, know what we do? We choose who deserves our love. God's system is based on grace and ours is built on works. We choose who deserves our love. I did this for them and this is how they treat me. I did that. If God loved us like that, let me tell you, there's no one reconciled to God. Imagine Jesus loved us the way we love others. Miserable. But it's because of the undeserved love towards us that God has shown that we can love others. It's because of the gospel that we can love our neighbor. Spend time with people. You can't love your neighbor without spending time with people. Go to the guy or to the girl, to the man or the woman that no one else will talk to. That people look and say they're not that socially, they're not good socially. Love them. Start there. Love your neighbor as yourself. Spend time with people. We've never been more disconnected in our culture than we are today. We'll get on a computer, we'll watch some TV. The whole week will go by and we've only seen our wife and kids. 
You can't love your neighbor rightly if you're not out there with people. I encourage you, get out to know people. Get out to ask questions. Let them know that you care. Let them know that you care. And do that in response to the gospel. The best way you can love your neighbor is to share the gospel with them. Because if you claim to love your neighbor and you've never told them about Jesus, you love yourself more than you love them. Share the gospel. People need God. They need Jesus. Love people enough to even in awkward situations feel uncomfortable. Imagine if they actually talked about you if you shared Jesus and was uncomfortable. I mean, the world would actually end if that happened. I mean, we might as well shut the doors in there. You know what? Sometimes you feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it will be awkward. But all the time, it will be the right thing to do. All the time. You know when people say, I shouldn't have said it that then. Why? You love them. All of a sudden, you're the perfect delivery. All of a sudden, we have evangelists, everyone just walking up, perfect moment. Bing! Got him. No one's batting a thousand, brother. Oh, there he goes. Put that right in there. We're trying to bat a thousand with our evangelism. No one bats a thousand. Only the Holy Spirit. And if you're reformed, brother, preach it. Because if they're supposed to be saved, they're going to accept it. Someone might be this close to the kingdom of God in your life. What is of most importance, please hear me say this today, is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You will never have more joy than when you're doing that. That's what you were made for. We try to find joy in other places. We run to other idols We are the other places to get satisfaction, but it leaves us empty. Only God can satisfy through the work of his son Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. John Piper says it like this. The chief end of a man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Glorify God and enjoy him and love your neighbor as yourself. Today, let's worship God because it's been made possible through his son Jesus. We have much to worship God about. He's been good to us. Is God good? He's been good to us. He's loved us. We're doing what is most important in this life because of Jesus. We could be wasting our life on things that don't matter, things that aren't eternal. But because of Jesus, we're here worshiping the one and only God, Yahweh, today. And let's go out and love others because of that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this, this body. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness, Lord. You love us over and over again. And it's undeserved, Lord. We're sinners. We're going to sin this week. We're going to fall short. But your grace is sufficient. Your work is perfect. And we love you because you are the one and only God. And because of the love you showered on us. Help us, Lord. Help us to love you. To give more of ourselves to you. And tell, help us to love others with the same passion. To love those who are in this body with the same passion. To love those who are outside the body with the same passion, Lord. And I pray for those who we have been sharing the gospel with, 
who are this close to your kingdom, I pray that they would come to know the knowledge of your son, Jesus, Lord. Have mercy, Father, on many, many souls. Amen.